The role of the modern-day pastor and ministry leader is changing. More and more pastors around the world today are ministry leaders who are doing multiple jobs and wearing multiple hats. They are bivocational or co-vocational leaders. They may be pastors looking for creative ways to use their church or staff to create income and revenue for sustainability. They may be ministry leaders who are looking for ways to launch for-profit initiatives or integrate innovation into their organization. They may be those who want to do missions globally and find creative ways to create sustainability. Or they may be marketplace leaders who are called to stay in the marketplace, but want to be part-time pastors, lay pastors, start ministries or nonprofits. This is the age of the new ministry leader. They wear different hats and do different things. They are technologically savvy and global. They are who God is using to make an impact in cities and communities around the world. This is the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast, and these are their stories. Here we are once again as I sit down and talk with my wonderful, wonderful co-host, Johanna. Johanna, welcome today. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Well, good morning as I'm talking with you. I'm here in Chicago. You're in L.A., and we are talking with the wonderful Dr. Tober from L.A. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good. Well, you know what? Let me just give you and set the stage and share a little bit about your bio. And then from that point on, I'd love to start uh, just hearing some of your thoughts. Dr. Laverne Tober, Vice President of Editorial for Urban Ministries, Inc., the largest independent Christian African-American media publisher in the U.S. Not only that, but you are an author, you are a speaker, you are a teacher, and we're going to spend so much time talking about that. Uh, since 2001, you have also been the president and CEO of Teaching Like Jesus uh, Ministries, and you've also been the author of numerous books. And so it is wonderful to talk about you. But before we begin, can you talk a little bit about your role currently with UMI Urban Ministries? I'd love to. With Urban Ministries, I'm the vice president of editorial, and I edit commentaries and Sunday school curriculum. And I also do a YouTube program called Sunday School Made Simple. This aired every week and it teaches the upcoming Sunday school lesson. So we air on a Sunday and it's a lesson for the following Sunday based on the International Uniform Lesson Series. What's fun about this is that being on YouTube combines my undergrad experience with being in theater <laughs> in addition to teaching and writing so it's kind of God has brought it all together so I'm really grateful we have approximately 10,000 views a week from people around the world who are studying the Bible so oh wow Johanna right now. what is this tell, tell me more about this program is it geared who is it geared towards the Sunday school the Sunday school program we teach Sunday School Made Simple is geared to teachers who teach the Bible, but also to students who are studying the Bible. I call them serious students of the word. So those who want to know what the Bible account is, we talk about how to study the Bible in addition to the, the lesson. We talk about what's the background of a lesson, how do we zoom out and understand context, and then give teachers tips on how to teach the lesson. And that comes at the end of the uh, session. We teach how to teach the lesson for children, teens, and adults. Uh, All in the 20 minutes or so. <laughs> yeah. So Dr. Tolbert, it, it's sort of like, I, I've 
went to seminary of hermeneutics, inductive Bible study, helping people to understand context, understand how to study the epistles or Old Testament, but in more of a condensed, easier version for non-professionals, right? Exactly. It's bringing all of these techniques, all of these principles that we, quote, study in seminary and Bible school, making it simple enough so that whether a person has gone to a college or Bible school or seminary or not, they can apply the principles in their study of God's word. Because the goal is that everyone, every believer, understands and studies God's Bible, God's word, so that they can they can apply it to their lives. If we're not doing that, then we're not growing and developing and maturing in our walk with the Lord. How did you get to be so passionate about um, teaching the Bible and, and teaching? Because I know you're also, you're equipping leaders, but as you said, you're also equipping people like me <laughs> don't, who might be really passionate about this, but don't necessarily have a degree. So how did you become so passionate about that? Actually, Joanna, my passion stems from my grandparents and my parents. My grandfather emigrated to the United States from the West Indies, from St. Croix. And he came over in around 1920 or so and brought the family. And Grandpa was a deacon. He was a faithful follower of Jesus. In those days, when offerings were collected on Sunday mornings, the deacon, the head deacon used to take that money home and he would deposit it in the bank on Monday morning. And that was my grandfather's job. He was so trusted, so faithful. He brought the money home and he took it to the bank on Monday. He loved the Lord. We were in church all the time. And my father was a pastor in New York, in Harlem on 135th Street. He had a small storefront church. My father had a degree in theology, and his passion was to teach the members of the church what he learned in school. And so he would have a little institute upstairs from the, the church, and, and he would teach the Bible. Loving the Lord and loving God's word is ingrained because of my grandparents and my dad. So um, you're, it's really a legacy. Yes, it is. A it legacy. is a legacy. Of, of loving the Lord. And I saw it modeled in their lives and in our family. And because of that, I love the Lord, fell in love with Jesus and want others. Just really the, the goal is I want people to fall in love with Jesus and to know him. And we do that by knowing and understanding his word. And so if, if teachers are in teaching in a way that helps the student love God and understand, then it's a waste of time. We, we want teachers to be effective so that students can grow in their relationship. Yes. Now, Dr. Tolbert, did you grow up wanting to be a teacher? Because you also mentioned that you were a theater undergrad as well, too. <laughs> well, let's see. I grew up wanting to be a writer. And so that was my goal. Writing was really a hobby. I had no idea that I could make a living writing. When I went to college, undergrad, theater became another form of artistic expression. So I did a lot of work in theater and ended up with as many credits in theater as I had in English. Mm -hmm. But God directed my steps 
And you know, in teaching sometimes, theater is important because you have to be animated. You have to understand how to read faces and see what's going on in the students. So it all kind of coalesces into who I am today. But my passion really began as a writer. And from that, all of the other gifts, God just added onto that. Yeah. You know, Johanna and I were just literally talking before you came about her love for writing, how she says, Tommy, I want just want to do this full time. Uh, <laughs> and in some sense, isn't it funny how a lot of times our journey and our passion, God uses those things to lead us on a journey that we don't even exactly know what it looks like, but there is adventure. Because Johanna, you have a dream. Will that materialize in the future? We don't know, but you're, you are using it in everything that you do today. That's so true. It's so fun to hear part of your story, Dr. Tolbert, because I was a theater major in undergrad as well. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then also became a teacher and loved to write. And so I totally see where you're coming from. I mean, you talk about this passion of wanting to infuse this passion of and this legacy of loving the Lord and teaching um, to your students. And I have experienced that firsthand, you know, a love of theater and, and knowing and understanding how to communicate both orally as theater does also in writing. I mean, both of those things are so, so important into, I don't know, pouring that passion into uh, the people that are around you. Um, I'm sure you have, you have witnessed that firsthand <laughs> in the course of your career. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's so interesting when we talk about our relationship with the Lord, the word journey is used and it really is a journey because we go on this road and that road. And so mm -hmm. we're not quite sure. And the Lord just weaves it all together into a beautiful tapestry, doesn't it? Yeah. So that we, he takes all these experiences and helps us as we teach and and help others to grow in the Lord. But yes, theater, writing, oh my goodness, you, ha you have it all, Johanna. <laughs> Johanna and Dr. Tolbert, you, Dr. Tolbert, have you ever sit down and listen to Johanna's story about her journey, where she is now, and some of the struggles and how God rescued her? It's a phenomenal story, but even hearing your story, I think my seminary professor said this to me. He, during class, he says, Tommy, you're always looking at the future. You're always doing and doing and going ahead. If you do not stop and reflect upon the journey and listen to and see what God's been doing all throughout your life, good and bad, you will never hear what he wants you to do in your life. And I've always remembered that lesson from seminary. Well, you are so multitasked and multifaceted in your experience, Tommy. My goodness gracious, I don't know how many hats you wear and how many things you do. You are amazing and so gifted and using all of these gifts to build the kingdom of God. This is just wonderful. What a blessing you are to the church. Thank you. Hey, let me ask you one question is, we're talking about the education of pastors and ministry leaders today. You've spent a lot of time educating different things and you spent a lot of time teaching people about God's word. Even in your role at UMI, even in your role at seminary, has the role of training pastors and ministry leaders changed? Do we need to educate people a little bit differently and we were just talking about even in seminary, a lot of times you may not require the four-year seminary anymore. You know, the amazing, the amazing result of COVID-19 in this pandemic is that we have adjusted the church and education. Everything has changed. 
And we are realizing that what we thought we couldn't do, we now must do. It's wonderful, I think, because it is expanding God's word in a way that we could never have imagined. So, Tommy, to address your question about seminary and equipping pastors and teachers and leaders, we need to reimagine what that education looks like. Seminary has a huge financial bill attached to it, which discourages so many people from getting the education they need. And when I was teaching at Talbot School of Theology, which is connected to, which is the seminary for Biola University in La Mirada, I noticed that my classes, the students in my classes, did not represent the community from which I came. They did not look like the people in my churches. And so I wanted I wanted the same quality of education to be available in the inner city. And that's why I do what I do. And I think we, if we become more imaginative, we can take this gospel and teaching the gospel and all of Old Testament study, New Testament, et cetera. We can take all of this and make it accessible to everyone so they can be effective in studying God's word, teaching it and living it and learning. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, and in in that vein, um, I know that you've one of the books that you've written has is um, understanding the Bible in five simple steps. Um, I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit. What are the five steps? I mean, oh, there it is, amazing. <laughs> it is the shortest book I've ever written. It's about ninety pages, and it's called How to Study and Understand the Bible. And five simple steps without learning Hebrew or Greek. So it's the longest title of any book I've ever written. I wrote the book because there are wonderful, excellent books on hermeneutics, inductive Bible study. Here's the thing we don't want to make it so complicated that everyone thinks that I have to go to seminary in order to read the Bible and understand the Bible. I start out by saying the biggest lie that the devil has ever told and that we believe is that I cannot understand the Bible. It's too difficult to read. I can't understand it. Well, how can we know God if we don't know his word and if we don't study his word? And so the steps are very simple. It's a combination and kind of a condensation of everything we've learned from all of the scholars and writers and authors and, and, and professors who have been teaching the Bible. The first one is a step into the sandals of the author. So it's based on a study acrostic. Step into the sandals of the author. Well, you can imagine that has to do with understanding the context, understanding what's going on in the setting, the biblical setting, not our 21st century setting, but what was the setting of the Bible then? The T for study is take time to look up words. And it talks about the importance of understanding similes, metaphors, etc., using dictionaries. Then understand the figure of speech so that we know that there are different genres in the, in the Bible, poetry, etc., so we understand that history is not poetry, it's not prophecy, etc. 
And then S-T-U-D is dig deeper than the surface. And this has to do with understanding topical study, word study, biographical study, that there are different ways to approach our Bible study. Yield to God. That's a very important, that why, S-T-U-D-Y. In other words, we could do all this study, but if we don't yield to God and apply God's word to our lives, we can miss heaven by 18 inches. That's the difference between the head and the heart because we don't believe and do and practice what we study. So that's basically the book, a very tiny, short way to help people understand God's word. And just make it accessible too. I love what you said at the beginning about, you know, this lie um, that we've been taught, you know, for many, many generations that really the only people who could study or teach us about the Bible were the people at the pulpit, you know, those, those, those people and, and with women not being a, taught how to read for a long time, um, people of color who weren't taught how to read, um, it creates that dependence on on those particular people. And I can remember um, our church going through a split back in Tennessee over a Southern Baptist theology versus an N.T. Wright theology of kingdom on, on earth versus just going to heaven. And I remember trying to sit down and understand with my pastor, why is this causing a split in the church and help me understand this theological. I had just started reading an uh, N.T. Wright's book and he was like, you're a woman. <laughs> you, you don't need to understand this, you know? <laughs> and, and I just, I mean, I, so I have experienced that firsthand of like, I'm the one in power. I'm the one behind the pulpit. You don't need to, you just need to believe me and believe what I say. And, and so I love that you are empowering, not only, I mean, you're empowering so many people to be able to understand that, you know, he didn't have that posture of here's how you can learn and understand and dig deeper into these issues and why they're important. You know, he just said, no, I'm the, I'm the one. I've been given this ordained call. You listen to me. <laughs> that is so sad. And that is very contrary to the Bible. <laughs> because in Acts, it's the, the church is commended. The Berean church is commended because they went back and, and checked out to make sure that what they were taught was so. And we have to do that. We have to be critical. We have to be students of the Berean. We have to be conscious enough to be able to evaluate what we're listening to, to know whether or not this is based on God's word and how can we do that unless we know God's word. Oh my goodness, that is so sad that you went through that experience. Women, ethnic groups, everyone, we all have a right mm -hmm. to understand God's word for ourselves. It's a love letter from God. <laughs> yeah. If we don't read the love letter, oh my goodness, how can we fall in love with Jesus? That's and, heartbreaking. And wouldn't you say, doctor, as a teacher, Dr. Tolber, as a teacher, when you start helping them learn God's word and you're studying it and making observations and contextualize it, and suddenly they see something and it motivates them to want to learn, that is the most, I will sit there and read a passage of scripture over and over again for a whole week, come back to it. And one day I'm going to sit there after reading it 20 times. I never saw this ever. And it just pops up. It makes it so exciting. 
Isn't it exciting? People who, who are not students of the word don't understand how exciting it is. But look, transformation cannot occur without God's word. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how is our mind renewed? By studying and applying God's word. It's, it's, our minds are like a computer. We, what we put in is what comes out in our lifestyle. And if God's word, if we're not depositing God's word in our lives, then my goodness, it's not going to be able to change our lives. And I think what's beautiful about students who study God's word is to see lives change. That is such a blessing. We can't make anyone do anything or live differently, but the Holy Spirit living in us taking God's word and, and, and using it to, to transform our lives. It's such power. It's so, we talk about liberating, liberation gospel and all of that. That's liberating when lives change. I love your comment to Tommy about the reading the scripture and then all of a sudden it, it just having that light bulb. And I mean, that's just such a clear picture of the fact that it is a living word. You know, we talk about it being a living word and it, and, and that is such a, a beautiful way to picture it of like, man, I've been reading this and reading this. And then all of a sudden right now, when I really need it most, it is living and breathing and become totally alive. And that is, is the living word, you know, <laughs> your mind. Johanna, I realize I will literally sit there during my sermon. Prep. I'll take three or four verses and for the next two, three weeks, that's all I'm thinking about. Everywhere I go, I'm just looking at those words, thinking about those words over and over again, asking the Lord and praying, Lord, will you speak to me in those words? Allow every interaction to make those words real. And it is after three, four weeks of looking at the same verses, you just start seeing so many different things. Yeah. So it is just, it is just a fun journey that you're always on. Johanna, I'm going to turn it over to you. Um, I, I'm going to switch gears for a little bit because as I was reading and learning more about you, I, I discovered your passion also for the pro-life movement. Um, I would love to hear you talk more about that and the work that you've done there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'll try to condense that journey. <laughs> After I graduated from Hunter College in New York a lifetime ago, it seems, I volunteered, I was working for a magazine and my career was off to a great start. I was an editor reporter and decided I wanted to volunteer my time and became, I was invited to be a board member of Planned Parenthood, also the YWCA. But it was the work with Planned Parenthood that was very interesting. This is 1975. I was asked to be on the board. Abortion had become legal in 1973. We knew nothing about abortion in those days. Of course, there was no ultrasound research, was no pro-life groups, everything that we have today that, that was not even necessary yet because abortion had just become legal. While I was on the board, I read documents that detailed how abortions were performed. I protested that these these methods of aborting babies were traumatic for mother and baby. I got 
pushback from the board. I was the only black woman on the board, the youngest and the only African-American on the board. And I started wondering who are these board members and why is abortion so necessary for the black community? And I decided to do some research. I decided to go into schools and lecture and talk to them about how to stay off the abortionist table. I had a talk called Love Carefully. Long story to short, I did my dissertation in this area about condom availability in school-based clinics. School-based clinics are connected to Planned Parenthood. It's a eugenicist movement. That's kind of common now. We all know that those are the roots and abortion is a means of controlling population growth, especially in the African-American community, which is why there are Planned Parenthood clinics throughout the inner city. And so I'm part of a pro-life group, pro-life organization, the Issues for Life Foundation, which is led by Walter Hoy and work do work with Dr. Alveda King and many in the pro-life movement, Ryan Bomberger. Many of us are concerned with getting this information to pastors and to their congregants so that we do not have this false narrative that abortion is every woman's right. We do not have the right to kill the future and the generation, the next generation and the next generation. Wow. Okay. Thank, Thank you for your work there. Yeah. Dr. Tober, as we're wrapping up time, can I ask you, where, where, where do you live in uh, Los Angeles? What neighborhood do you live in? I'm right near Fuller. I live oh, in Eagle Rock yeah. Highland Park, but I'm about 10 minutes from Fuller Seminary. Got it. Nestled in between LA and Glendale, Pasadena. Yeah. If you could describe like your neighborhood is Eagle Rock and how would you describe that neighborhood that you live in? Right now it is changing. It's gentrifying. The community is becoming more and more diverse. It was uh, mainly a kind of a working class Hispanic community. And now we're seeing more young white families move into the into the neighborhood because Pasadena is so expensive and we have it's just a unique area to live in with lots of shops and restaurants and stores it's very eclectic and very ethnic and so we're having it's just a place where people like to come yeah yeah how long have you lived in that area over 30 years oh wow okay yes and, and your church, West Angeles Church, we've been there. It's a wonderful, they're doing wonderful things over at West Angeles, over at Crenshaw. Yes, I am so blessed to be a member of West Angeles and, and to do ministry alongside the, the leaders there and our pastor, presiding Bishop Charles E. Blake, is a wonderful role model, a man of integrity. And he has such a passion for Africa, for children, for helping our communities, the poor, the disenfranchised, homeless, et cetera. And so I love being a part of the tremendous work that's going on at West Angeles. I want to go to West Angeles when yeah. all of this COVID stuff ends and hopefully we move back to Long Beach. I am so excited to visit. I can't wait. I spoke to my pastor a couple of months ago, just I guess about two months ago. And I said, Bishop, we sing a song. 
welcome home. I said, Bishop, I can't wait till we are in the congregation again and we are singing welcome home. And he said, oh my goodness, we're all gonna be crying. And it's, it's, it's worth, it's something wonderful to look forward to, but I, I want us to continue to be safe. There are so many right. people we need to protect, so we don't want to rush things. He doesn't want to rush. We want to be safe and be wise. Right. And, and then think about what has God allowed us to do in this time? How can we be even more creative? And I think a lot of the adjustments we've made are going to last even after the pandemic. Definitely. On that note, I, I want to end with the question of what are you most hopeful for? I mean, we can all, I think, pretty much agree that 2020 has been a tough year. <laughs> and so what are you most hopeful for um, moving into the end of the year and moving into to 2021? I'm most hopeful that the church will take a leadership role in the midst of what feels like social chaos. I long for the church to be a voice, not a follower, but a voice in these times when there is ethnic, there are ethnic tensions, political tensions, where, when we have learned to be so disrespectful to one another and speak to one another, there's no, there's no grace there's the social discourse is disarming right. and alarming. And I would love the church to be a voice of reason, to be kind of like the sixties movement when Martin Luther King Jr. and other leaders gave direction. We need a global, but we need a global movement where God's word and God's voice is the leading voice. And that's what I'm most hopeful for. Dr. Tolbert, thank you so much. Uh, Johanna, thank you. And as we report this for both Together LA, as well as the Grow Center over at Northern Seminary, I just wanted to hear your voice and have you share with the people that are listening uh, in both California and all over the world. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Johanna, you. take care and we're going to have a good weekend and we'll talk soon. All right. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.